0: Hello, Frighters! I'm Holland Elise, and this is Fight or Fright. Welcome, Frighters! Yes, welcome to another episode of Fight or Fright. I am so excited to bring you another episode, and in this episode... Obviously, it's true crime. There is a horrible story, tragic death. It is it is really, really sad. But I promise there is sort of, kind of, a light at the end of the tunnel because there's one badass bitch that gets shit done. And I love it. I'm all for it. But before that, I know that I kind of keep you guys, like, up to date and in the know of my shitty experiences of online dating and this week I have one that takes the fucking cake guys it's insanity so I match with this guy and I watch a lot of TV and I mean ask anyone in my family or like my roommate or anything like if I'm at if I'm at home and not working I'm fucking watching TV And so I matched with this person and he kind of looks familiar, but I'd never been catfished before. So I was like, "Eh, don't be paranoid. Yeah, he kind of looks familiar. Maybe he just looks like him. Blah, 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 blah. The dude was saying he's like a doctor and shit. It's insanity. But I thought he looked familiar. And thank God for the fucking paranoid ass person who thought of reverse Google image search because I got this weird feeling. I just had this gut feeling like I need to reverse Google image search, which is something I've never done while online dating before. Which now that I think of it, I probably should, but I've never done that before. And (laughs) I, I do that, I reverse Google image search and find out that like all the pictures he posted are pictures from the actor that I thought he looked like. It was from that actor's Instagram. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? So I was duped. I'd been catfished. But the moral of the story, don't fucking mess with my knowledge of actors, especially hot ones on TV shows that I watch. And I watch just about all of them. It's just insane. And I know that there is a movie and a TV show about being catfished, but it's just I, I never thought that I would experience that. Anyway, I digress. It was a crazy situation. Dude got blocked and called, well, called out and then blocked right quick, man. But now on to one last piece of the business. So I started a Discord, which is basically like a AIM style chat room thing. I got the idea from my lovely girls at Let's Go to Court. I love being on the Discord with them. Let's Go to Court's like one of my favorite podcasts. And I love those ladies. So I was like, you know what? I, I love this kind of community thing. And so I thought I'd start another one for anyone that listens to this, that wants to be part of a true crime community and just talk about different things, true crime, or just like have a community of people of like mind that you can, talk to. And if you want to join this community, if you want to be part of the fight or fright discord, please uh, DM me on Instagram at fight or fright pod or on Facebook also at fight or fright pod. So that's it for the business. And let's get started on today's case. So now for the horribly tragic story That, like I said, has one bad bitch at the end, but we have to go through a lot of shitty stuff to get there. Today, I'm going to speak about the sad death of Angela, Angie Samoda. Her friends call her Angie. I'm going to go by Angela. That's how most of the records and things that I found, how they refer to her. But she did go by Angie with a lot of her friends. So for this one, we're going to get into that time machine, shut that door, and go back. Not too far back, just like a little journey to the 1984. Angela was a gorgeous woman. She was 20 years old and she was attacked in her off-campus apartment. She was a junior at Southern Methodist University when this tragedy occurred and she was studying electrical engineering and computer science, which basically means she's fucking smart. Like, I, I probably would have failed both of those classes just because they seem like they have a lot of math. And that is for sure not my strong suit, so. <laughs> but on the night of October 11th, 1984, Angela called up one of her friends, Russell Buchanan. She wanted to know if he wanted to hang out with her and her friend Anita. They were going to be going out, and she just, was seeing if her friend wanted to go with them. They hung out. They had some drinks. They went dancing and had what to me seemed like a super fun because I love dancing. Love me some dancing. I might not be good at it. I might be a white girl when dancing, but it's fun. But it was like a relatively normal night, especially for like a 20-year-old. She had asked her boyfriend, Ben McCall, if he wanted to go out with them, but he had work the next morning and he opted out, which I fucking feel that hard, Ben. When when I have work the next morning, I'm like laying in bed at like 30, 9 o'clock at night, just laying down, listening to a podcast, music, reading, doing something to fall asleep so that I can be like alert the next day, I am definitely, definitely a morning person. But from all accounts, Angela was the designated driver. And I get that hard too. I'm usually the designated driver. I'm usually the one that drives at the end of the night, not just because I like driving, but usually I'm the one that can. So, But witnesses and people that saw Angela that night that knew her said she did not seem at- all intoxicated when they left. But it was the 80s and I'm not even sure there were like drinking and driving laws. They at least weren't the same. I'm speaking as a 90s kid; the 80s were a little before my time, so I'm not 100% sure, but I don't think that the regulations on it were like they are now. Either way though, at the end of the night, Angela drove Russell Buchanan home she dropped him off he got out he went inside his place but anita the other friend that was with angela was supposed to spend the night at angela's place so after dropping russell off anita and angela had a conversation and anita decided that she wanted to go home angela was going to be waking up early for i think it was like a football game or for something she was waking up the next morning earlier than anita wanted to get up and so anita decided she would rather sleep in so Angela also dropped Anita off at her place. Like I said, the DD. After dropping Anita off, Angela did a quick stop by her boyfriend Ben's place. They spoke for just a little bit, but eventually as it was getting late and he had work the next morning, they said goodnight and she left. It was around 1.45 a.m. in the morning, which I don't know if I was born an old lady or what, but that just seems so late for me. Like I said before, This bitch goes to bed at like nine o'clock. So definitely early bird, not night owl. But once she got home, she called Ben. And Ben noticed that she sounded a little bit weird, a little bit off. She wasn't really, she didn't sound like her normal self. And so they were talking and she asked him to stay on the phone with her. He finally got her to tell him what was going on. And she said to Ben that there was a man at her apartment that wanted to use the phone and the restroom. She was being nice and polite, as many people do. But as my lovely ladies from My Favorite Murder say so often, fuck politeness. She asked Ben out of curiosity, just where could the man that was at her place go to get the nearest phone booth, bathroom, all of that kind of stuff, kind of just get his things done and get her away from, get him away from her. And Ben said that there was a convenience store down the road. So she was passing this information along and told Ben that she would give him a call back. And at this point, I couldn't really find if when she called Ben, this perpetrator, killer, murderer, awful shitbag of a human being, I don't know if he was in her place or if he was like at the door knocking and she didn't open the door but was like, "What's going on? What do you need? Why are you- it's 1:45 a.m.?" I wouldn't, I would ignore the door at 1:45 a.m. But like she had just gotten home, she was probably still getting ready. There was a light on, and anyway, he. I don't know if he was in the apartment or if he was outside the apartment trying to like get her to let him in. But either way, she got off the phone with Ben and she told him that she'd call him back. And it was a while later and something just wasn't sitting right with Ben. He hadn't received a call from Angela. He was worried about this weird person that was outside her place. And he was worried because she didn't sound like herself on the phone. So. Ben got in his truck and just fucking zoomed to her place. Like, from what it seemed, I wouldn't be surprised if he was, like, going through red lights, not doing California rolls at the stop sign, just, like, booking it to get to that place. And he knocked on our door. She didn't answer, and he was worried, but he knows what she's like and that she's a nice person. So he's like, maybe... She went with him to the convenience store to show him where it was. Maybe he didn't understand the directions and she was just trying to help him out. Again, being polite. Maybe she was being polite. And so he got back in his truck after she didn't answer his knocks and went to the convenience store to see if by any chance she could possibly potentially be there. It was kind of like hanging on to that last thread of hope. And when she wasn't there, he went back to her place and he was frantic and knocking, calling her name. She wasn't answering and there was no sign of anyone on the other end of the door. But he knew that she was home because she'd talked to him. So he called the police. The police arrived and they kicked in the locked door. And what they came across was an awful scene. And this is a trigger warning for anyone you can fast forward like 15 seconds if you if you want, if you don't want to hear about the crime scene. But they found Angela covered in blood and naked. The autopsy showed that she was stabbed 18 times. Fucking 18 times. Fucking overkill much? God damn. And of these 18, there are 10 that were lethal. So she didn't stand a chance, which is awful. It's just fucking tragic. She had a blood alcohol level of 0.09 and she had been sexually assaulted. And OB took a look at the body and said that it did not seem like Angela put up a fight during the rape. And she felt that this was, she felt this way because of a lack of bruising. She thought, the OB thought that this was most likely under threat or that the fight or flight instinct kicked in and she felt that she would live if she complied or would be more likely to live if she complied with what this jackass wanted. Either way, there was no evidence of pushback on her part. She just seemed to comply. And I don't want anyone to take that as meaning I'm saying that she should have fought back. I'm not saying that. People get those gut instincts and those are like survival instincts. You can, you, many people have been in a situation where it's like fight or flight and you just instinctively, your body knows what you need to do in that moment to keep you safe. Whether it's based on their like body language or something, you, you usually do what is best for you to do to survive. And so I'm not saying that she should have fought back I'm just saying that what I found in the research is that this person said that there was, due to lack of bruising, they didn't think that she put up a huge fight. While they were investigating the scene, they found blood and semen. And as usual, the first suspect was Ben McCall, the boyfriend. I mean, it is always the boyfriend that comes up first. They they look at him, they roll him out or they don't rule him out, whichever way the investigation goes. And, I mean, he was outside her door. He was the one that called them. Like, he wasn't in her place, but he was there on the premises. And so, of course, they're going to look at Ben and then go from there. But the blood, semen evidence, just nothing matched him that they were able to find at the scene. So they were able to rule Ben out fairly quickly. But when it comes to Russell Buchanan, they did not rule him out so quickly. They would call him in every so often to interrogate him. And they would go at him hard because he was with her that night and the boyfriend was ruled out. So the next best suspect, I guess, would be the person that was with her that night. And... I mean, they showed him graphic, awful photos of Angela's naked dead body from the crime scene. I mean, this is his fucking friend. Angela was a person that he saw that night. And now he's they're making him look at these horrible graphic images of her dead body. I mean, that's just that's just fucked up. And I know it's kind of a way they wanted him to like confess to like do all that stuff just to make the investigation easier for them, they were under the impression that he wanted to have sex with her. She declined all of his advances, and apparently that just made him go psycho crazy. This was their theory, and from all accounts, they were pretty much sticking to it. I mean, for six months, they kept Russell Buchanan under surveillance. Six months. That's a long-ass time. But after six months, they had no evidence. They had no confession, no matter how hard they went after him. And they had nothing tying him to the scene. So they stopped surveillance on Russell Buchanan. And once they stopped surveillance, it just seemed like everything, all leads went dry. And by the summer of 1984, the case was completely cold. And I just, I hate cold cases, unsolved cases, like all of those kind of things. I hate them because I like everything being wrapped up in a nice pretty little bow and knowing who the bad guy is. I, I think like most people, I find it scarier when you don't know the evil you are facing. And when something's unsolved or a cold case, it's freaky because it would, it's like, it could be anyone. It could be someone that's around you or not. Like you just, it's just, it's a lot. And my anxiety does not love unsolved cases. So that was the sad stuff, the horrible death of Angela, just a promising beautiful life taken way too soon at 20 years old. I mean, she's still so young. I like I just think back to when I was 20 to now and the things I've accomplished, the things I've done, what I've what I've seen, what I've done, the jobs I've had, like all of that stuff, like my memory sucks, but I can still think back to when I was 20 and how different I am from the person that I was when I was 20 years old. I'm immensely different than I was then. And so this poor girl who didn't even get to like really live and experience like the full freedom that comes with not being in school, not having classes, having your own job, your own mo- like all of those things, like it's just really sad. She was so young, but now this is the part where I get into one badass boss, bitch who gets shit done. It's 20 years later. So 2004, a friend, acquaintance, roommate. I've seen this woman described in all of these ways. But to me, she's my bae, my boo thing, my badass bitch. And her name is Sheila Waisaki. And Sheila knew Angela. Like I said, she was either a friend, acquaintance, roommate. Some Somehow she was in with Angela. She knew her. And this case just haunted Sheila. She called the police 700 times. Let me just, like repeat that to let it sink in 700 fucking times. She called the police trying to get this case reopened. In her opinion, much like mine, it's not okay that this case wasn't solved. In that 20 years, there was so much forensic and technological advances that with the semen and blood that they had from the the crime scene and from Angela, like just the forensics and technology advancements alone, she was not okay with the fact that this was not solved, which I get. And so she called them constantly. The squeaky wheel gets the grease is what I've heard people say, but either way, she wanted to get shit done. She wanted this to be solved. She wanted justice for the person that she knew in college. And so- The saddest thing, and this is really sad because I think it might be one of the sadder things that I've researched when looking into this. Sheila said that for her, the most upsetting, heartbreaking thing was that the police told her no one else called about this case, which is just heartbreaking because this woman was like brutalized. Like what happened to her is awful and tragic and Completely solvable. And no one called. No one tried to get the case reopened. And seemingly, this awful event had faded from memories and people kind of lost interest. But Sheila, Sheila, she did not. She did not lose interest. She was haunted by this and she wanted it fucking solved. And when you want something to get done, go to the ladies because us bitches get shit done. She got her PI or private investigator license and she got the evidence in the Angela Samoda case tested herself like a boss bitch. She did everything she could. And it took like, I think what I read was it took a year for the evidence to be tested in this cold case But once all of the evidence, like the semen and blood, and once all of that was tested, there was an immediate hit. There was a man named Donald Bess, or as I like to call, scum of the fucking earth. So Donald Bess in 1985 was convicted and put in jail for a separate assault case. This had nothing to do with Angela. A year later, he assaulted and sexually, sexually assaulted and attacked another person and was put in jail. And this is not the only time that this motherfucker ran into trouble with the law. He was com- a convicted rapist even before Angela's death. He was convicted of raping someone and he was released seven months before Angela was killed. Once all of this came out and once the case was solved, retired police corporal Virgil Sparks stated that while Ben was knocking on the door the first time before he went to the convenience store, Donald Bess was most likely still in the fucking apartment. Retired police Corporal Virgil Sparks, his theory is that she made an attempt to scream for help, call for her boyfriend, or, like I said, with fight or fret, fight or fright, with fight or flight, he, he was distracted. Someone was knocking on the door and her instinct might've kicked in and she's like, if I'm getting out, this is how I'm going to be able to get out because he's distracted from someone knocking on the door. And she tried to get away, use this distraction to her advantage, the distraction of her boyfriend knocking on the door, calling out for her. And she used it to get out of the situation. Either way, police corporal Virgil Sparks believes that this is what caused that scum of the earth, motherfucking asshole Donald Best to stab her and kill her. So in 2010, six years after Sheila started her crusade to find out what happened in this very solvable case, like I said, once the DNA was tested and came in, he was fucking found right away. It came back to him right away. This case didn't need to go unsolved for 20 years, but I know that there is a backlog of a lot of things and cold cases, like, I I get that there's already so much that the police do or detectives, like, when this stuff happens and when cases go cold, like, I get it, but this didn't have to go unsolved for 20 fucking years. And fuck yeah, Sheila Wasaki my main bitch for getting shit done. I mean, how bad is it, badass is it that she got her private investigator's license so she could solve the murder of her college friend? Like, that's so fucking badass and amazing. Oh, I love her. Anyway, in 2010, six years after Sheila started her crusade to find out what happened, there was a one-hour deliberation and Donald Bess was convicted of the murder of Angela Samoda. Fast forward, all of his appeals were rejected, still on death row in Texas. And I want to take a moment to put on the record that I generally am not in favor of the death penalty. I think that killing someone who killed someone is an eye-for-eye eye kind of justice. That's old-fashioned, and I'm just not a huge fan of it. I might feel differently if it was proven 100% of the time that they got the person on death row, like that they got it right, because I hate the thought of an innocent person being murdered by the state for something they didn't do. And the people who are innocent usually have some things in common. Mainly, they don't have a lot of money to afford a good lawyer, and they are Black. And like I said in last week's episode, Greg Kelly, innocent people tend to be the worst and hardest clients for lawyers because you're not thinking through every day, taking a mental note of what you did to then give to a lawyer. So you're not keeping the proof that could exonerate you or that could prove that you didn't do this. So when you're innocent, in a way, it's a lot harder for you. And that's what my issue really is with the death penalty. But I'll get off my high horse now and just say that he is on death row. He's where he should be. He's out of the public eye. I'm not 100% sure if Texas has like a moratorium on the death penalty or if they're still like doing, like if they're still like executing people on death row, but I'm not 100% sure. But he's on death row. He's gonna be there the rest of his life. But now more on my hopefully future best friend, main bitch, awesome, badass, Sheila Wasaki. So Sheila is still a private investigator for cold cases to this day from what I saw in the articles I read. She's still a badass and she is apparently licensed in Texas and Tennessee. So like, fuck yeah, Sheila. We need more women like Sheila. She is a bad bitch, and I love her. I love that she's like, all I can trust is me, myself, and nah. And she got shit done, and I respect it. I love it. You're awesome. Anyway, I'm fangirling here a little bit, (laughs) and I don't even know her, but I just think that's so awesome. Anyway, so now, getting towards the end of the episode, I decided that one thing I'm going to start doing is going into like more recent true crime news at the end of episodes. It's going to be just a small little couple minute thing of like recent updates, perpetrators getting caught, all of that kind of stuff. And obviously it's still true crime related. So it's not light and fluffy by any stretch of the imagination. But I wanted to end on recent cases where perpetrators have been caught, where people who have been on the run, have been caught, just all of those kind of things. Mysteries being solved, DNA coming in and saving the day like with the Golden State Killer, just just those kind of things. I know true crime isn't light and fluffy, but I wanna end on, end on a good note, question mark? Or at least some kind of good news because the person was caught or something moved forward in a case. And I'm going to call this section, The Fright is Over. Anyway, that that affected my voice. Anyway, so this week in The Fright is Over, I'm going to talk about one awful, awful, just terrible father named Yasser Abel Saeed in 2008. Yasser Saeed killed his two daughters, Sarah and Amina, because in his opinion, they were becoming too westernized. He had the ideal and the picture in his head of what his daughters should be, how they should listen to him. And Amina had a boyfriend he didn't approve of. He wanted to arrange her marriage to someone to, like... I don't know if it was like for status of the family or just be with someone of the same culture or anything like that. I'm not 100% sure like what the arrangement was, was, if it was for like property or monetary gain to give the their family like more status. Or if it was he just they're now in Canada after coming from a different country and he wanted to keep her in her culture. But either way. Amina had a boyfriend, and this boyfriend was not what her dad wanted for her. And her dad was pissed. And he was abusive. Yasir was abusive. It's the way that he kept his daughters in line and kept them in check. And that's just how he was. But his other daughter, Sarah, she was close to Amina. She looked up to Amina. Amina was her older sister. And Sarah started dressing a little differently. Their clothes were becoming a little more, still probably compared to some of the shit that I see on the street, still probably pretty conservative. But like they were dressing a bit differently, kind of not exactly how their dad would want them to. And Sarah was becoming a little bit more like Amina. And in order to keep his family's quote unquote honor, there was a lot of tension and he in a way tricked them or got them to where they were found by saying that they were going to take a family trip to Niagara Falls. The tension was going to go. They were going to work on things as a family, go on a family vacation, just kind of get away from it all. But they stopped at a motel on their way to Niagara Falls and the girls were found that next morning in his taxi Dead, And it's horrible. And for 12 years, this motherfucker evaded authorities. And he evaded justice for this horrible crime he committed against his daughters. But on August 28th of 2020, so pretty recently, he was found in North Texas. And as of that date, he was in federal custody. So... We got him. I don't know how he got across the border from Canada to the U.S. That shit's hard, but you know, he did. And he was in Texas, but that state found him. They got him and he is now in federal custody. And I in no way am a part of this culture So I don't mean to sound offensive or say that arranged marriages are bad, that there's anything wrong with them, and I really don't want to offend anyone. But I I will hazard to say that I am glad that this man who killed his fucking children and beat them when they got out of line and was just abusive, I'll just, I'll sleep better at night knowing that he's no longer on the run and evading authorities, because hashtag justice for Amina and Sarah. I'm glad he'll finally face the consequences for the shit he did. I mean, he murdered his two daughters, and his son helped, and his wife, like, covered for him while he was on the run. And I'm pretty sure the wife and son got in trouble, but then he was on the run for 12 years. So I'm just glad that we will get justice for Amina and Sarah, that he's in custody, and that he's gonna finally face the consequences for what he did. And I know honor killings around the world are a huge issue. And I know not being from the culture that I am not the number one person to like speak on this issue, but I do feel that I can kind of raise awareness and put in my support against this kind of violence domestic violence, which is usually not, I'm not going to say always, but it's usually violence that's perpetrated against a woman. And it's a tragedy because any loss of life is a tragedy. So I don't mean to offend anyone. And I don't mean to say anything about like arranged marriages or anything like that because I'm not part of that culture and I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with arranged marriages. I mean, I have some issues with them, but I'm not saying that it's wrong or that it shouldn't be happening. I just, I don't want to offend anyone and I want to put that out there. But that is this week's The Fright Is Over. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Fight or Fright. I literally love you Frighters. You are amazing. And I just have one teensy, weensy little favor for you. If you could go to the Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating and review, I I have a couple. I love reading them. I love hearing what people have to say. And it helps me with notoriety, getting more listeners, and... I mean, if you're going to hate on it or give me bad stars, just don't waste your time. It's not fucking worth it. Like, just go on with your day. But I really want people to listen. It really helps me get notoriety. It helps me get more listeners. And I, I love doing this, and I want to keep doing this. So please, 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 if you could take a second and rate or review... If you can't do that, if you could at least tell a friend about this podcast and get them to listen and all of that stuff so that I can keep doing this. Thank you guys. I love you. You rock. You're amazing. So follow me on social media. I am at Holland Elise or at Holland underscore Elise or at fight or fright on Instagram. I am at fight or fright pod on Facebook. I'm at Fight Fright Pod on Twitter and on Gmail. I am fight or fright pod at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you guys. And again, if you want to be part of a cool chat room, fun style thing with my Discord, I would love to hear from you guys. Please, please DM me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email me, any of that shit. And I can send you a link to get into my discord. I'd love to hear from you guys. I love you all. Thank you for tuning into another episode. And as always, remember guys, don't fight this fright, bitches. All right. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Fight or Fright. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fight or Fright Pod and on Gmail at Fight or Fright Pod at gmail.com. Twitter is the only one that's a little bit different in there. And that's at Fight Fright Pod. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it. And it would really help me if you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Even just spreading the word to family, friends, people you know that enjoy true crime, mysteries, paranormal, all of that kind of stuff. And this is Holland, and I'll see you next week when I tell you another crazy story. And remember, you don't have to fight this fright.